by now you guys know what we've been doing together, right? We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been discovering together uh, what the Holy Spirit through Luke is showing us about Jesus, what we can learn about him. And, and we've covered things um, from Jesus's humanity. We've covered Jesus's worthiness, right? Being worthy of your life and your following. And last week we talked about being worthy of your worship. Um, we've talked about Jesus's gifts as a preacher and the message that he had for the world. Uh, we talked about lots of things so far. And tonight, the thing that we're talking about is another one of those things that's not, um, it's not as obvious on the surface, right? When you look at it, it doesn't say that word, but it may not be as immediately apparent, but it is absolutely crucial to understanding who Jesus is. It's absolutely crucial to understanding his role in, in all of creation and the world. But in, instead of me just telling you what it is and letting you fill that in, I just want to get into the text. So give you a heads up. We're going to be pretty text heavy tonight in scripture, which is never a bad thing. I want to encourage you to, to get a Bible open somewhere in front of you, uh, whether that's physical Bible, open on a device. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, and I'll be flipping around as well to different places and reading different scriptures. But Luke chapter 8 is going to be where we are tonight, verse 22. In verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 22, we see this story of, uh, speaking of Jesus, it says, One day, he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and they were calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. So, summary, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. boat starts sinking. And it's sinking enough that they are legitimately afraid that they are going to die. Now, keep in mind, there is a good chunk of the disciples that are fishermen, right? Live their life at sea. So if they think they are going to perish, there's probably a good chance they have an experience as to what that might look like and what danger might actually be, right? So we can go ahead and assume they're probably just, they're not exaggerating. They actually believe themselves to be perishing, that they are going to die. So what do they do? They wake Jesus up, right? I mean, Jesus, the, the, and, and it's sort of odd. He's asleep as it is, right? I mean, the storm is bad enough to cause the boat to start sinking, and Jesus is sleeping. But that might right there show his humanity, which we've talked about, but that's not the point of this message tonight. Um, they wake him up, and what does he do? He makes the storm stop, right? He, he ceases it. And uh, we'll get into the next part in a minute, but I want to stop right there because that's going to set up for us the three things that we're talking about tonight. So if you're, if you're taking notes or you, you like to have headings and sections and you're more organized like that, there's sort of three places we're going to be at tonight, three things in our roadmap, and there are three questions that we're going to be answering based on this passage. So you can sort of write these three questions as you go if you want. The first question that we're going to be answering is, who is Jesus? Which I know, I mean, we've been answering that like every single week, right? Um, who is Jesus? Well, he's, uh, you know, worthy. Jesus is 
the prophesied one. Like we've been answering that every single week. But this particular week, uh, we are back at it because that question, who is Jesus, is exactly what the disciples are asking in this passage. I mean, look back at, at verse 25. He says to them, where is your faith? They were afraid, they marveled, and they said to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? They're asking, who is this guy? I mean, we, we thought we knew him. He's shown himself to be a great teacher. He's shown himself to be a great prophet. He's shown himself to be a great healer. I mean, they've had eight chapters so far to see all the awesome things that Jesus is. I mean, the amount of healings that they've seen alone should give them an idea of who he is. But, but this thing that they just saw him do, this is different. Right? And, and it's different enough that it's making them reevaluate something. It's making them ask this question. It's making them ponder something, that something might be different or that they may have been viewing Jesus different than he actually is. And I want to ask you, have you, have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever had a moment so like crucial in your life that you come to Jesus? You come to Jesus with this certain expectation of who he is, what he's able to do, or what he'll choose to do in your life. Like you come to him and he's in this box, right, that, of things that you know about him. And you come to him and call on him like the disciples come to him and call on him. And you say, Master, Master, which most of the time we'd say, Jesus. Like that's our, how we start our prayers oftentimes, like, Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and does something that might be completely different than what you thought, but certainly he does something that impacts the way you view him, that impacts what you thought he might do. And you're left wondering, like, okay, but who is this? And so, so who is the Jesus I've been worshiping? Like, is that Jesus? Or is now, is this Jesus? Like, where, what, what is going on? Like, where am I in this situation? I remember that happened to me um, a little over six years ago, right after Brittany and I had, had lost a baby. It was a pretty big time in our life. And I had this expectation of who Jesus was. And I knew Jesus was sovereign. He was in control. I mean, he was the creator. He was able to, to do anything. Jesus has this perfect will, right? Anything that happens is within the will of God. And my thought was like, therefore, if it's in his will, I need to be okay with it, right? That's my goal is to get on board with his will. I need to, to be understanding. I, I need to just suck it up and move forward because it's within his plans. And, and so I came to Jesus with that, right? Jesus, Jesus, like you're sovereign. You're in control. Like show me that. Show my wife that. Help us to just keep on moving forward because we know what we know about you and we need to get on board with that and Jesus in that moment of my life was like no I mean yes I was right in thinking that Jesus was sovereign and and in control but Jesus was saying I, I'm more than that Jesus was saying I'm more than just sovereign I'm more than just my perfect will I'm also a comforter I'm also tender I'm also loving I also weep when you weep. I'm also a shepherd to my sheep, and they know my voice, and I call on them. You see, I came to Jesus with a certain expectation, an expectation that was right on everything I had seen, but he showed me something greater. He showed me something grander than I had thought of him. And I left thinking, like, well, 
this is Jesus, and I, and I know I, I, I was worshiping Jesus, and it brought some questions into my life, just like it, it did for the disciples. And, and maybe you haven't gotten there in your life yet, right? Maybe you haven't hit that point in your life where you've had one of those radical changes of need and desire coming to Jesus because you're in peril and him broadening your view of him. But I guarantee you, if you're a disciple, it's coming. If it hasn't happened yet, it's coming. Just like it came for these disciples that day in the boat. They came to Jesus, certainly with this expectation that he could help them, and he blew them away by revealing something deeper and grander about himself than they expected. And what was that? Who is Jesus? What did he show them? He showed them that he was the creator. And if, if you're looking for the message title, normally I say what it is, that's, that's the message for tonight. Jesus as the creator. And when I say creator, I mean creator of everything. Like, the creator and controller of all creation. And I'm going to walk you through how scripture reveals that about Jesus. But first, I want you to put yourself in the place of the disciples in that moment. Jewish disciples. Meaning, their people, their fathers and their fathers' fathers and their fathers' fathers' fathers had been walking with God for a long time. They knew who God was. They were his chosen people. He, they were the people that God said, this is who I have a relationship with. Like, they knew who God was, and there was a lot of history there. Thousands of years worth of history, which means also thousands of years worth God working in their lives. Thousands of years of, of miracles. I mean, the Jewish people, were, they were no strangers to miracles. Like, they had seen healings, like Sarah being able to have children out of nowhere. People being raised from the dead. Like they, they knew healings. They had seen provision. I mean, there was points where they literally had bread dropping out of the sky so that they could eat in the desert. If that's not a miracle provision, I ain't got another one for you. Like they saw, the, they saw weather manipulated. They saw seas raised and split. They saw pillars of fire come down from the sky to lead them at night. They saw pillars of clouds go ahead of them. Like Moses parting the Red Sea, Elijah stopping the rain, the, the plagues in Egypt. Like they had seen quite a bit. And because they had seen quite a bit, they knew. These Jewish disciples, they knew that something was different here. They knew something was different with what Jesus had, had just done. And I want you to see that difference too. So I, I've got just a couple verses for us that show us some of the, the miracles the Jewish people had been used to. Right. So this is from Exodus 14. You don't need to turn there. We're going to move pretty quickly through these. But this is Exodus 14. This is Moses in the Red Sea, right? It says in 1421, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters divided. So that's the, the sea splitting, right? You go down just a few more verses, and it sums up the story. And this gives you a really clear picture of everything that Moses did. In verse 26, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So keep that in mind, how I just said it, the way it was worded, right? Let's move forward. First Kings chapter 18. If you were here when I preached through Elijah last spring, this will be familiar to you, but this is Elijah um, at the Mount Carmel, the contest of the gods. And Elijah is about to call fire down from heaven. To show that God is the God of Israel. And he says, answer me, 
O Lord. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known in this day that you're God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. So that's just two examples from the Old Testament. I could bring countless more, but for time's sake, and because we want to keep on going, that's going to suffice. So keep those in mind for a minute, how they were worded, what happened in them. And then look back at your text in Luke right there. Do you see the difference? The difference is, Jesus didn't ask the Lord to do anything. Jesus wasn't told by the Lord to do anything. Jesus didn't pray and consult him first. He wasn't waiting like Moses did for the voice of the Lord to come to him. He wasn't on his knees in prayer the way that Elijah had to be. He wasn't sitting there waiting for a command like Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Like Jesus didn't have to do those things. What did he do? It says that he woke up, he rebuked the sea, he woke up, and he just did it. That's it. He just made it happen. It says in verse 24, right? Master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and raging seas and they ceased and were calm. Jesus woke up and he rebuked. And those are really simple words in the text, but they make an enormous statement. And that statement is, Jesus wasn't waiting on God to do something on his behalf. He didn't have to wait for the creator to do something because Jesus was the creator. Jesus was the creator at home and his creation able to control. And in that moment, he was not just a man pleading to God on behalf of creation. He was the son of God commanding the creation. And the scripture like here clearly shows the difference in the language. And if you look back at miracle after miracle after miracle, you're going to see the prophets leaning upon God to act on their behalf. But this language is different. And that's why it brought us to the point and brought the disciples to the point of saying, who is this? That's not how we read about our fathers doing it. That's not the stories of Elijah. That's not the stories of Moses. Who is this that the winds and waves obey him? Like, only the Lord could have done that. And, like, if just to add to this, right? And you're going to find, I'm going to do this tonight. I'm just going to keep on adding to it. Just to add to this, here's a psalm from the, the Jewish people. Like, these disciples, they would have sung it in school growing up. They would have sung it in their homes. They would have heard it in synagogue during Shabbat and throughout the week. This is Psalm 107. And, and listen to this. Maybe this will stick out to you. So they went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, lifted up the waves, they mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, and their courage melted away. And they reeled and they staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, and he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. That's a psalm written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was on the sea with his disciples. And you know that Jewish men who were raised to memorize scripture like that, that was familiar to them. That would have been familiar, right, to, to a Jewish person. But that's not the only place we see that, that Jesus is the creator. And you better believe they saw Jesus to be the creator. But 
just in case, like just in case that we need more, and I challenge you to always want more, to always see it in Scripture versus me just telling you and drawing the lines for you and connecting the dots. Like, I want to walk through just a few more uh, Scriptures that explicitly say that Jesus is the Creator, that He is who He says He is. Remember, I told you our three C's, right? That's our podcast, Centered, Committed, Confident, Centered on Christ, Committed to Discipleship, and that third one, Confident in the Word of God. You need to be confident in this statement that Jesus is the creator. So here's a, here's a few ones that you can just jot down. I'll read them. Colossians 1, 15 to 16. Talking about Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. So through Jesus, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. And through him also he created the world. So through Jesus the world was created. And probably the most famous passage out of these. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So have I, have I driven my, my point sufficiently enough tonight that you can trust scripture when it says that Jesus is the creator, and that that's the answer to the disciples' question. That's why they word it that way. That's what Luke is trying to show us in this passage, is that Jesus isn't just a man who sleeps. He's also God who controls all of creation. And that's what left the disciples in, in this question of who is Jesus? And he revealed to them something that's grander, something that's more glorious, something that completely blew their minds in that moment. And the question is not only who is Jesus, and the answer being he's the creator, but the question that continues on, and this is our second point for the night, is what does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean for my life? And in the disciples, what did that mean for them? Because as we're about to see, Jesus had an expectation for what that should mean. Jesus had an expectation for what it should mean if you understand his true power and nature. So the question, what does that mean for my life? Best place to find it? Back in the text. So verse 25 right there. says, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and waves? And they obey him. So Jesus had this expectation of the disciples. And that expectation revolves around two words. Faith and fear. Faith. And fear. Like the disciples were fearing. They were, they were fearful. So Jesus asked, where is your faith? And, it, and if that doesn't make it obvious already right there, like let's go to the gospel of Matthew, the exact same scene, the same incident that Matthew is recording. And Matthew quotes Jesus as saying, and he said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and sea, and it was calm. Jesus Jesus' expectation is that proper faith in him 
and who he was and a proper understanding that he's literally in control of everything and he is just as majestic as he says he is and glorious. An understanding of those things, a proper faith in him will lead to less fear in our circumstances. A proper faith in Christ will lead to less fear in our circumstances. And so that, that's one of our applications tonight. And, and an immediate application is that in your life, pray for an increased faith in Christ so that you can combat the fear that lack of faith brings. I'll say that one again. Pray for an increased faith in Christ so that you can combat the fear that a lack of faith brings in your life. And that could be what? Fear of man, fear of failure, fear of harm, fear of not being accepted, fear of whatever it may be. Faith fights fear. And if, like, if you're going to write, like if you're one that like, writes in your Bible, you write in your margins, like that's an easy one to write down next to it, right? Faith fights fear. Fear. That's what the, the Lord is showing us in here. And, and what's the best way to increase your faith? A humble heart praying to the Lord and eyes on this. Right? In this, through the word of God, God chose to reveal himself to the world. It's through his word that God says he can be known. A greater view of this and what it says about God in this will increase your faith and therefore decrease your fear in life. That's how we get a, a greater faith in God. And, and before, I, before I move on, I have to make a few caveats, right? Anytime we start talking about fear and anxiety and things like that, we start stepping on a whole bunch of things that are going on in people's lives. And I just want to say and be very clear, I am not telling you that if you deal with anxiety that you are sinful and something is wrong with you, right? I am acknowledging that there are things that happen in uh, hormones and in brain pathways and stuff that can be diagnosed and seen. Yeah, that's how this is working. I'm not pretending to get in the way of that. And if you want to talk about that, that's a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That is not meant for me to just blanket statement something over that for you. Um, but what I am saying is that the Lord so created the world in a way that when we have unbased fear and that we have fear of something in our life and circumstances, that it's a faith in him that diminishes that fear, okay? So I want to be very clear with that because I know that um, those are things that might be going in your mind and, and I don't want you to feel that type of conviction. But I would love to talk to you about it and, and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about what that means in your life and help you through that and see what can be done or shouldn't be done and things like that, all right? So I always want to leave that caveat as well. But so that was our second statement and the last one. First one was, who is Jesus? Second one was, what does that mean for me? And, and the third one is, how do I respond now? I, I just hopefully... You were inspired, encouraged to read the word more, to have more faith. But, but what do you do right now? What's the immediate response? Once again, that is back in the text. Look at the text one last time. Look at it, what it says that the disciples did after he did all that and he said, where is your faith? There's two things um, that it says he did or that the disciples did. It says, and they were afraid and they marveled. They were afraid and they marveled. Sort of funny because like in all the other versions of this in, in uh, Matthew and Mark and John, 
right? He says, do not fear, and it says that they feared. Um, but this is a different type of fear. Like the fear that the, the Greek word here is saying, like they were afraid, means they were in awe. They were fearful of God. They went from fearing the sea and their circumstances to having a proper fear of God and who he is. And I want to just talk about those two things. If our, like the immediate responses that it shows is a fear of God and marveling, which is awe and worship. So that first one, fear of God, that's something that we tend to sort of disregard nowadays, right? Like as a, as a culture, even a, as a church, oftentimes we will disregard a fear of the Lord because we have such a secure relationship with the Lord. And that's great. Like, I mean, we should have a, a relationship with the Lord, but there are times in our lives that um, when I say fear of the Lord, I mean a certain reverence and respect for the things of God, right? There are uh, times in our lives in which um, we, we step a line that we shouldn't, right? We cross a line that we shouldn't, that we demean God for the sake of our relationship with him, that we do not give him the respect and awe that he deserves, that we so easily point our attention elsewhere, so easily allow ourselves to get distracted, so easily allow ourselves to walk away when his uh, awe demands something different. I don't feel like I need to say much more than that. You guys know where you are in that. You're going to feel that. The Lord's going to convict you in that. But we could all, all of us, could use a, a healthy dose of awe, respect, and fear of the Lord. I mean, certainly they, they saw it for who he was. And so not only a reverence to the Lord, but then marveling, right? So that awe of worship. And that goes right back to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. The night of worship, Pastor Rob's message on worship. Like, we've been hitting it hard at this church to talk about worship. But you're going to see it time and time again. They saw who Jesus was. He revealed himself. They saw he was worthy. And what did they do? They worshiped. And in one of the other gospels, it even says, they fell to his feet in the boat and worshiped him. That's what it means to marvel at God. And so um, how should you respond now? You should respond with, with awe of God, with fear of who he is, and also worshiping him for who he is, right? And, and that goes with anything in life. As the Lord reveals things to you, worship him for him. Say them back to him. Praise him for him. Glorify him for them. Sing to him. Pray to him on those things. Like, we can learn from the disciples in this moment. So, Jesus is the creator. It's almost another way of saying Jesus is worthy, right? Showing just how great and glorious he is in our response to that awesomeness. That's what we're really getting at. Another way of saying Jesus is worthy of your awe and your, your worship. But Jesus is the creator. And uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means not only for him to be the creator, but to be the son. And we're going to be talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how that works, and things like that. So we're just building our foundation of who Christ is as we start getting into more and more complicated matters of how he works. So 